welcome to Trainers Talking Truths. This is an ISSA podcast dedicated to exploring the fitness industry and uncovering the whys and hows of personal training. To do that, we'll talk directly to the industry experts and certified trainers. We'll dig into fitness programming, business tactics, nutrition, and more. You'll even hear from current training clients who offer insight from the other side. We've got the fitness industry covered, so turn up the volume and enjoy the drive. Hello, world. Welcome back for another ISSA podcast, Trainers Talking Truths. It's your co-host, Jenny Liebel, here with uh, a guest podcast co-host. He's back, guys, Mr. John Bauer. How are you, John? I'm great. I'm great. I'm, I'm glad to be back. This is the first time I've heard you introduce yourself with your new married name. Um, so I'm still getting used to it. But yeah, it's always fun to do these with you because we get to, you know, basically just be a couple of trainers, talk and shop, but share it with a whole bunch of people. Yeah. And that's a great point, John. I, uh, these episodes have been really, really well received. So I'm super excited that you guys are sounding. It sounds like you guys like these, which is awesome. Cause guess what? We're going to keep doing them. Um, Cause the research is always coming out. There's so many more things that John and I wish we could talk to you guys about and Dan for that matter. Um, but today, the ones that I picked as far as our lightning fun facts, our fitness facts are very applicable to what we do when we're working with clients. And we're not necessarily talking about like the science part or the anatomy or the terminology today. We're going to be talking about like kind of big picture stuff that it seems kind of simple when we talk about it. So if you have any like, well, duh moments when we're talking, you're supposed to, but a lot of people forget some of the stuff that we're going to talk about today. So I hope this episode hits hard for a lot of you guys. But speaking of John, are you ready to dive into our lightning fitness facts? My favorite part. Let's do it. Awesome. Now, if this is your first time hearing these, okay, I'm going to go over some current research. Um, of course, we reference them, by the way. So look at the description of this episode. You will find all the references for everything that we're talking about today. Um, but we're going to go through some of the research that's out there and some of the current things that are happening in fitness and really talk through it. Um, and I'm going to quiz John a little as we do this. So John, our first research that I want to bring up, recent research found that during resistance training, Repetition performance, rates of perceived discomfort, and blood lactate responses, which is, remember, lactate is a byproduct of the cellular energy metabolism during glycolysis, so it's not a bad thing, but these things can be improved with what type of rest intervals between sets? Would they be longer rest intervals or shorter rest intervals? Great question, and I love this question, and I feel like I know the answer, and the answer has to be longer, and before you go, I'm just going to say this. I, I often say that workouts don't necessarily have to be a race to get tired. And I think that's what they get treated like a lot. Um, but in the case of trying to get better performance out of yourself, like you were just describing, definitely longer rest. Absolutely. And again, this is very much a no brainer moment for a lot of people, but there's some people, Hey, there's clients out there who want to jam through everything and like, just go, 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 go and not take rest. I've got a couple of those and we have to force them to stop. And then there's some people who just don't even think about it right? They just don't even think about rest time, but it does matter. So yeah, you're absolutely right, John. Longer rest periods are what we're talking about here. So a recent study recently published um, by the CUNY Lehman College in the Bronx, New York, by one of my absolute favorites, Schoenfeld, Rosa, Coleman, Hahn, and Grick, um, did a study with a total of 16 participants who executed a single joint movement and a multi-joint movement. So they did the leg extension and the back squat with random test intervals of one, 
two or three minute rest periods. They wanted to determine if longer rest intervals between the sets allowed someone to do more repetitions in subsequent sets, reduce their discomfort, presumably from like the burning sensation with the lactic acid and hydrogen ion buildup as a byproduct of glycolysis and to better understand the blood lactate response. What they found was a measurable increase in the number of repetitions completed and a marketed reduction in discomfort when the rest periods went from one to two minutes. Okay. So from one minute rest periods up to two minutes, it changed, but they didn't really see much of a difference when they increased those two minute rest periods up to three minutes. So longer is not necessarily always better. They also noted that the multi-joint exercises produced a larger blood lactate response and higher levels of reported discomfort than a single joint exercise, which absolutely makes sense, right? Um, multi-joint, you're using more muscles in the body, et cetera, doing more work. Practically, there are many suggestions that we can have for our clients, and let's talk through some of those about longer rest intervals when they're appropriate, especially for multi-joint or compound exercises due to the higher level of fatigue from engaging multiple joints, often large muscle groups, et cetera. And they may not be as necessary for single joint movements. What are your thoughts on this? So like I was saying earlier, the, the, the rest periods make, well, the different types of rest periods make a lot of, um, uh, uh, there's, a, there's a big difference between like short periods and rest periods, right? And there's reasons why we would take the short periods versus the, the rest mm -hmm. periods or the longer rest periods, I should say. And, um, you know, I think for us as trainers, understanding this is a huge step in being able to make the programming uh, do what our clients needed to do and give them the result that they're looking for. Um, like I was saying earlier, I, I think a, a lot of people think a good workout is just about racing to get tired, racing to burn as many calories as possible. And that's what constitutes a good workout, but it's just not necessarily the case. It just all depends on what we're trying to accomplish. Yeah. Hundred um, percent. I really like that the study was looking at specifically rates of perceived discomfort during the exercise, and of course, repetition performance. Can you do the next set? Um, and then the blood lactate response is more of like a nerdy type of thing to look at. But the rates of perceived discomfort. How many clients have you ever had, John? That exercise was new for them, like deliberate exercise like this, using a machine or doing something like you were doing in a gym is diff. It's new for them, and if it's uncomfortable or they get that burning sensation or they feel like, oh my gosh, I feel like I can't finish the set, they get freaked out. They get scared. Right. And that's, that's okay, but it happens. And this kind of takes that into account, give them longer rest periods and they won't have that feeling. Right. Yeah. I, uh, I actually had the experience of having some clients, uh, that were from India and the way that school worked for them is, uh, oftentimes there was nothing physical going on. You know, they, they went to school for academics, nothing physical. So by the time they were training with me, they had never really experienced exercises we know it they've never really experienced their muscles burning so their perception of uh how hard they were working and what was happening to their body was was actually kind of negative they thought something was wrong when they right. felt their muscles burning uh so in those cases i think inadvertently i gave them longer rest periods but it was because we had to talk about what was going on and i had to assure them that they were okay um but yeah in those cases absolutely a longer rest period would have made sense because their their perceived discomfort would have been less because of the longer rest periods yeah, absolutely. And then as they get more accustomed to it, right, and get better conditioned, then you can start, you know, really challenging the rest periods based on their goal. Because you're absolutely right. There's absolutely times when having a shorter rest period makes sense, right? If you're trying to do endurance, for example, the point is to keep going. <laughs> uh, so you don't necessarily need or want longer rest periods. But yeah, if strength or hypertrophy, like hypertrophy is, is one of those things. I love hypertrophy. It's one of my jams. Because 
it's, there's no right or wrong way to do it as long as you're focused on your training volume, right? Overall. So yeah, goal absolutely matters. Good call. All right, John, the next one. So this is more about recent news. And if you guys haven't seen this, y'all better be paying attention and look this up. So John, in recent news, several people have been hospitalized or died due to drinking too much what? So I, I think the answer could be a lot of things, but uh, I think I know where you're going with this one. And I think the answer is going to be water. It is, John. Yes, of course, too much of anything will kill you, as I like to say. So, yeah, of course, alcohol. We're talking about water, though. Absolutely. Shockingly, there have been a growing number of instances of people drinking too much water, either too quickly or just in general, and having physical symptoms of hyponatremia or potentially dying. I've seen this actually a couple times. I think the last time I saw it, it's mid-August right now when we're recording this. It was a week ago was the last one I saw. It was a lady in the Midwest who was out at a lake with her friends. I read the article. She was out of the lake with her friends and family and she was feeling like overwhelmed. And so she drank, I think the equivalent of like six uh, normal size water bottles in about 20 minutes. They said, that's it. That's all it took for her. She was that dehydrated and it was just straight water with no minerals in it apparently. And by the time she got to the hospital, it was too late and she ended up dying. Um, But hyponatremia is a relatively common electrolyte imbalance caused by excess total body water or hyperhydration as we like to teach it in our nutrition course. Um, And that's compared to the body's salt content. So it's different when you're taking in water that has electrolytes in it. So John, I'll have you talk to them about that in a second here. But symptoms of hyperhydration can be um, weakness, dizziness, fatigue, vomiting, nausea, cramping, and low blood pressure. Um, And it can be caused by some medications, kidney problems, having somebody who has chronic diarrhea or vomiting, hormonal changes, um, or like we're seeing in the news lately, drinking too much water too quickly, where it basically drowns out your system. Um, the medical, the American Medical Association, I did look up some recommendations. They recommend limiting your water intake to one liter per hour, approximately, right? That's most people don't measure it, but about a liter an hour, unless electrolytes are being consumed as well. Anything more can lead to health issues for some people. So that's just something to be aware of, right? A, li- a liter per hour. So if you're working out hard and you're out there rucking with John out into the mountains every weekend, he goes, guys, he goes out into the outdoors. I'm not an outdoor person, but he goes and goes on all these beautiful hikes and posts on Instagram, but you don't want to go pound water just because you're out there sweating all the time, right? You want to moderate as you go. What are your thoughts on this one, John? Uh, yeah, it's a, you know, it's something that, that can be a little bit tricky. And um, in some ways, I think we can overcomplicate it. Yes, you should drink your water. Yes, you should have your electrolytes. The, the question is how much and, and when, um, you know, when we're sweating a lot, like these, uh, these hikes that you're talking about, there's a lot of sweating going on. So you're clearly losing water, but usually there's a lot of salts associated with it. Those are your electrolytes. Um, and, and more or less the way that hydration works is you want your cells to be hydrated. So mm-hmm. when you're drinking water, you want that water to make it into your cells. And, and to put it real simply, water is going to follow the salts. And if there's the salts there in your cells, then the water can follow the, follow the salts and get into your cells. But when we start to have this great imbalance where all of the extracellular area is low in those salts, then any salt you may have in those cells starts to make their way out of the cells. And now if you're drinking water, you're taking in water, but you're essentially still dehydrated because the water is not making it into the cells. So that's the importance of electrolytes. And that's why sports drinks can be valuable because then you have the water, that you have electrolytes. Some of them replace a lot of carbohydrate as well. Um, but yeah, it's, it's important to understand that hydration is not just about water, but it's also about those electrolytes. 
so when you're drinking like mineral water, usually there's plenty of electrolytes in there. And like I said, sports drinks have electrolytes. Yeah. And that doesn't mean that everybody needs to be drinking those, by the way, let's be real. But if they are in a situation where they're sweating a lot, they're a heavy sweater in general, they live or work in a hot environment, things like that. Those are tips that we can give them. And then as a trainer though, too, John, have you ever had a client that maybe you realize doesn't drink very much water at all? I have where you're like, oh my gosh, how are you still upright? Like, cause they just don't drink a lot of water and you can't just be like, Hey, drink more. Cause then some people will be like, they'll go from zero to a hundred and then they become part of jug nation, which if that's you, no dig. I used to be that person too, who carries that gallon jug around with the marks on it where they're like, I got to drink this by 2 a.m. or 2 p.m. or 3 p.m. Whatever. And then they're pounding water without considering the fact that it might be too much, right? We need to be a little bit more, I wouldn't say prescriptive, but maybe specific when we're giving those recommendations. Would you agree? Absolutely. I, you know, during my time when I was training a lot of people, this is one of the things that I had to talk to. I feel like 90% plus of my clients was let's make sure that we're drinking enough water, uh, not just to help us out with our workouts and the recovery from the workouts, but most every function that happens in your body has water associated with it. Uh, and then a lot of the aches and pains and headaches that we feel on a day-to-day -day basis sometimes can be cured by just simply drinking a little bit more water. You're dehydrated. If you look at the list of symptoms from dehydration, uh, some of them are common everyday aches and pains and headaches that people um, uh, experience uh, on a near daily basis. And I know I've had clients where when they started to pick up the, the water intake, magically, they started to feel a little bit better, their body felt better, their joints felt better, less headaches, etc. So it's an easy fix to a lot of these, what for uh, a lot of people are kind of daily occurrences, all these aches and pains and headaches. Agreed. Or sometimes people feel hungry. It's so like, especially later in the evening. I know that happens for me anyway, but I feel hungry and I'm like, let me go drink some water real quick. Give it 10 or 15 minutes and then see if you still actually feel hungry or if you're just bored. <laughs> Sweet. All right. So again, just something to be aware of you guys. I'm all about keeping up with current events. John and I talk almost daily about stuff going on or I'll message him and be like, John, did you see? And like, we'll talk about the stuff that's going on or the research that's coming out. There's a lot of it. like the water ones I found on uh, Yahoo, by the way. Okay. And then just do a little digging, make sure it comes from a reputable source, but you can learn a lot in a lot of these news outlets. All right, John, one more for you. This one's more of a personal preference question, but I personally prefer to work out in a gym. It's for me, it's about being seen, not necessarily like I need everybody to see me, but I feel like I will cheat less. This is a weird thing. I feel like I will cheat less if there are people around, right? So if I told myself I'm doing six sets of eight reps and it's going to be 80% or 90% of my one rep max, that's a lot of work. But if I start the set and then I'm like, ah, I'm done, I'm like, no, somebody can see me. <laughs> so I just, it's like an accountability thing for me. Usually I also have better equipment or more equipment than I would have at home. But what about you, John? Do you like working out in a gym or do you prefer to work out somewhere else? Uh, you know, I've, I've always kind of preached that you can, you can do fitness anywhere, right? That's kind of one of the cool things about it. But one thing I found out uh, back in 2020 when we were all at home, you know, with nothing to do is I missed the gym. You know, I was still trying to do my home workouts, but I missed going to the gym, not just because the gym has more stuff and more equipment, but it is kind of a separate experience from being at home working out. Um, mm -hmm. and, you know, and I'm someone that kind of grew up going to the gym a lot and then I played sports. So I was going to the gym more. So it's a, it's a place that I'm comfortable in and, and probably I've had a lot of great experiences. My whole professional experience was, was in gyms. So it's a, it's a great place for me. Um, and to your point, there's something about being in this room with other people who are also working out that is, you know, 
not not just for for people kind of keeping me accountable because I know they're looking, but it's just a different experience than than being at home. It's 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 like you intentionally got up, went to this place in order to get this uh, this workout done. So um, I I will say that I do prefer the gym. I like doing other things as well. But when I need a really good workout, when I really need to get after it, the first place I go is right to the gym. Nice. Same. So it's kind of like going to a shopping mall versus ordering stuff from Amazon, right? <laughs> Same end result, but how you go about it is different. So not all clients want or feel, want to or feel comfortable in a gym space. We have to remember that as fitness professionals, especially if they've never really been in a gym. There are human beings on this planet, you guys, that have never been to a gym. So we have to remember that. And I've actually heard clients or people tell clients, their clients, that they don't get as good of results when they train at home. Um, depends, right? But as an in-home trainer myself, who has private clients that we train in their homes, like, of course, they have a decent amount of equipment, but we train in their homes. I felt differently about that because you can get a good workout at home. So this got me thinking, and I did some research. So there's a study from 2017, so still relatively recent, but 2017, that looked at just this, home versus home gym versus gym training, and the subsequent results over a 12-month period in adults, and I will disclaim this, it was adults with chronic disease. Okay. So what do you think that they found, John? Just wild guess. What do you think they found? You know, that's a, that's a, that's a great question. I, I would feel like they would find a, a whole lot of different things, but is it like, is it possible to, to do well outside of the gym? Absolutely. So I would, I would expect that's part of what they found. Yeah, absolutely. So actually this study found John that there was no significant difference in outcomes for a gym-based experience and a home-based experience. And they had 139 participants, right? So depending, of course, they programmed appropriately for the equipment and things that people had, but they looked at programs lasting three, six, nine, and 12 months in length. Uh, The gym participants were found to have better outcomes as far as like mental health because of, and they mostly said it was because of the social interactions or they postulate like, like a guest that was because of the social interactions at a gym, like you mentioned, John, Whereas the home-based participants scored lower in this area as their interaction was limited to household occupants, your mom, your dad, your sibling, whatever. Um, And they had telephone follow-up with the researchers. So minimal contact with other people. However, as they relate to the anxiety and depression scale, the six-minute walk test, BMI, and the 15-second sit-to-stand test, those are the assessments that they used. The tests were comparable in both ways. So it's actually really cool. You can get a good workout. You can get results, right? If you're training appropriately, it is possible to get results from home. And we all understand that the equipment, the space, like all those things can be limiting for someone. But for most people, home workouts are perfectly adequate if that's what they prefer. Thoughts? Oh, well, one thing, one thing to add to it is as someone who primarily trained in the health club setting, I had plenty of people who started with me that were not comfortable in the health club setting. So I didn't have the choice to say, okay, well, maybe I'll just meet you at your house. Yeah. So then it became, how do I help this person to feel comfortable in the health club setting? And, and what you'll find too, is a lot of them want to feel comfortable. They want to feel confident in the health club setting. They're just not there yet. So that's your job, not just to create a great exercise program for them, but to help them feel competent, help them to feel confident, help them to feel like their own self-efficacy and performing exercises um, is, is getting better. And, and if we can do that, now we've created a person that maybe is going to be comfortable and confident in doing the workouts at the gym, 
at home or wherever the case may be, because now they feel that they can do it. Uh, as opposed to in a lot of cases, I feel like a lot of people are not comfortable in the gym because they just haven't spent much time there. They've never done it before. They're maybe a little fearful of any judgment from people around them, mm -hmm. but the more you do it and the more they do it with a professional like yourself, the more likely they are to become more confident. Yeah. And I like that, that competence piece. Yeah. People do want to feel competent. We're humans, right? We don't ever want to feel like we don't know what we're doing. Nobody wants to feel that way. Um, and for some of us who have clients who want to work out at home, whether you're there or not, I think it's just a matter of really figuring out um, how is this person going to keep themselves on track? Cause there is a, there is an amount of like um, autonomy that they have in doing something like that if they're not there with you, but then tracking compliance, right? And that can be different things. It could be a spreadsheet. It could be tech, daily text messages. It could be using these apps and programs that are out there. I use a couple different ones, depending on who I'm working with, where they can mark the workouts off and leave you notes and stuff, but like developing some level of um, compliance and tracking with your clients would be huge. And put that in your policies, by the way, don't just talk about it, write it down and make sure that they know what's expected of them as far as check-ins and stuff. Yeah, I like that one. So that's all I got for you guys. Some interesting little, some recent recent news for you guys. Guys, it's time for another ISSA rapid review. We get all kinds of feedback on our personal training course. Evelyn said she absolutely loved it. And Michael Mendez said this was an awesome program worth the hustle. Thanks, Evelyn. Thanks, Michael. All right, well, next up in this next segment, we've been kind of calling it Real Talk. We're not going to be quoting um studies per se but we're going to talk about something that's very a very common topic in the health and fitness space and jenny i know you know this one because it's something that comes up a lot and um you know there's there's reasons for that which i'll cover here in a second and it's just the topic of functional training and you said that earlier and i said man <laughs> <laughs> i think those people don't know what it means or they blanket statement functional training for stuff yeah, and, and you know, and that's that's really the thing is, you know, sometimes when people say functional training, you know, I almost have to ask, and what do you mean by that? Unfortunately, it doesn't have just a meaning. It's yeah. turned out that it, it all of a sudden it means all kinds of things, and I think that's where a lot of the issues uh, come from. So oftentimes, people will look at it as a fitness approach that focuses on improving the body's ability to perform everyday movements and tasks effectively and efficient, efficiently. And that sounds pretty nice you know, be able to do everyday movements well. But I, I don't know about you, but for me, that doesn't describe all functions. You know, there are functions that are not everyday tasks that mm -hmm. I need to be able to do and do well. Uh, but that's a way that it's often looked at. Uh, another way is it's kind of looked at as we're training movements rather than muscles. And, you know, I can kind of get down with that as well. You know, it, it is good to kind of Make sure that people have good movement patterns and not just focus on uh, on bodybuilding nothing against bodybuilding but not everyone needs that not everyone is trying to be a bodybuilder but a lot of people are trying to feel better and move better now who determines what's functional that, that i think that's really the question i think the client kind of helps us to determine that mm -hmm. i think they help us to determine what functions uh, are they deficient in we can help with that what functions do they need to do what functions do they want to do and that helps us certainly Everyday movements count, but I don't think that completely defines what functional training is. So why is there some controversy and some confusion? I'll just give you a couple of, of reasons why I think there's some controversy and confusion. Uh, there's, there's misinterpretation of what functional training is, and then marketing uh, has kind of caused some confusion. The term functional training has been used in marketing to sell all kinds 
of fitness products and programs. This has led to a dilution of its original intent with some products and programs claiming to be functional without adhering to the core principles of the approach. So it became kind of a buzzword and marketing people love a good buzzword because it helps <laughs> sell products. So we would see things that say functional training on it. A lot of consumers would see something that says functional training on it and they think, great, I heard that's good and I need that. But was it actually helping you to be more functional? Who knows? So again, there was a lot of misinterpretation and, and again, marketing sometimes uh, it can be a bit of a tricky thing. Uh, there's also an overemphasis on complexity. And Jenny, I, I'm sure you've seen this, but functional training can sometimes prioritize complex and advanced movements over building a solid foundation of strength and stability. So in other words, it kind of make it seem like in order to really become quote unquote functional, you don't want to just do the basic movements. You want to do it, but you're doing it on a balance board or you're doing like three exercises at once. And then a lot of people started to define that as functional, uh, when the reality is, if you really think about it, I think we're just uh, overcomplicating exercise. And then if you do that, what's the result you're getting? You might not be good at doing any movements, as a matter of fact. So truly unfunctional, if you really think about it. So th this kind of led to beginners attempting movements that their bodies were not adequately prepared for. This could lead to injuries. And like I said, it can lead to people not actually gaining any function because they're doing things that are too hard for them to do in the first place. So that was a lot of stuff about functional training. Jenny, what are some of your thoughts? Yeah, I agree with everything that you're talking about, especially that last point. You know, um, it's a lot more complex than it needs to be. I always like to look back and of course, everybody needs agility. Everybody needs balance and core strength and all these things. If you're an athlete, right, which is what I focus on and what I am like, that's completely different. And the level that you need those things that is very, very much different. And you can really focus on those things. But for the average person, of course, they need those things, but they don't need to be a majority of their program. It's kind of easy to just sneak that kind of stuff in there, like balance stuff or making sure that like their hips move in all the ways that they're supposed to, right? So many people get stuck in the sagittal and frontal plane as far as leg movements and hip movements and things that impact your, your LPHC, your lumbopelvic hip complex. But there's ways to just help somebody move where it doesn't even need to be loaded. We can just do, let's do quadruped hip circles, right? It's not that challenging, but you might be surprised how many people can't move their hips up and back and sweep them around back underneath their body, right? Let's work on that first. Um, but again, we don't want to get too complex with it. And I steer away from using the word functional training. To me, I don't even really use training. It's activity, right? It's you might, I sometimes use exercise, but it's activity. Um, when you say exercise or training to some people, they're like, Ugh, I roll, right? Or they're not interested. There are people out there who are not interested in deliberate training or exercise. So don't call it that, right? Make it fun for them. But I also like to, we talked about this a little in boot camp today, John. I like to think about what does this person do in their real life, right? Let's focus on those things or the things that they used to do and maybe want to do or haven't done and want to do, right? What do you want to accomplish in your life? What are those things, right? So John, you love hiking. Maybe you, you love your box, your kickboxing and stuff that you've been doing. You mentioned a couple of times, like you have things that you like to do. Awesome. Well, when we train, if you were training with me, I'd be like, sweet, John, do you have any other overarching goals? Are you trying to get stronger? Are you going for hypertrophy? Like what, what else are you looking at? But I'm going to train you to do the things that you do in your regular life and do them well. And that's my focus. Not, oh, I'm going to make you the most mobile person ever. So you're standing on the stability ball on top of a BOSU and like doing all this stuff with your arms and spinning around bats. Like it's not that serious. It doesn't need to be that complicated, right? What do you want to do? And I'm going to make sure that you can do it and do it well. Yeah. So those are my thoughts on it. 
Yeah, now, you know, if we talked enough about it, we can come to some conclusions like being able to walk well is functional, being able to push and pull and squat. Those are good functional movements. But to your point, then we can take those movements and maybe perform other functions that are necessary uh, for the client or maybe wanted uh, by the client. The funny thing about functional training is it, uh, you know, like I was saying earlier, it kind of depends on who you ask. And, you know, people who are really great at yoga, you know, they'll, they'll often say yoga is great functional training. You'll find bodybuilders will say, hey, you know, bodybuilding can be great functional training. Powerlifters, same thing. So this just leads me to believe that context matters yeah. and you can find great function and, and great uh, functional achievements out of all of those things. The question really is, does this person need it? Do they want it? And then that helps us to create programming that is functional for that person. Yeah, absolutely. Great point. Um, yeah, so I love this discussion. Um, there's a lot to think about when you're talking about this. So don't let me and John be the ones to inform your opinion on this kind of stuff, but maybe start thinking about that, right? What is your thought on functional training? Is that something that you subscribe to? Is that something that you talk to people about or you use? Cool. If it is awesome, but maybe understand a little bit more about what that means to you when you say it, what does that mean to you? So that way you can always explain it to a client too. Cause John makes a really great point marketing things that are out there in the world that your clients see, whether or not, you know, that they're seeing it, it might explain it in a completely different way than you have an idea of it being. Um, so make sure that what, if you are doing quote, quote, functional training or any other type of specific training, you guys, you should have like a little elevator pitch, two or three sentences of what that means to you and what it looks like in the training that you will give someone. Um, so just be clear about it. That's all I'd say. Absolutely. Awesome. Well, this has been a super fun discussion. John, thank you for joining me again. And thank you guys for listening. Do you have any last words, any things that are you know just on your mind before we close it out today, John? Yeah, these podcasts that we do, it kind of reminds me of some, uh, some of the trainer friends that I had back in the day where we'd have discussions kind of like this. And these sorts of discussions are valuable to have. You're, we're literally talking shop with each other. And I think that's what we're doing here with these podcasts. So, so hopefully it acts as that for you all listeners, but also this is, this is me queuing you up to find someone out there, a good trainer friend uh, to continue to have these conversations with that. I think it's really good for fitness professionals. hundred percent. I agree. I agree. There's lots of roundtables and things out there. Form your own, right? So talk with other professionals about the research. Um, ask questions like John and I ask of each other all the time. Like, have you heard of this? What are your thoughts? And you might hear something that you've never thought about before. In the two and a half years or whatever I've worked with John, I've heard him say stuff where I was like, huh, I've never thought of it that way. Like he has some really cool ways of thinking about things that are different than the way that I do. And it's kind of changed my perspective on some things. Um, and I'm sure hopefully vice versa. <laughs> but thank you guys for listening again. This has been super fun. Uh, go out there, let us know what you guys are finding too. We'd love to maybe dig into some things that maybe you guys are finding or interested in and uh, report back. But go out there, do all the things you guys and above all, make good choices. We'll be talking to you soon.